Good morning. I'm so happy to see you here. I, knew, I know that you knew a visitor was coming and you could have vacated the seats today. But I'm glad to see you. It's what a pleasure to be here. I'm going to tell you four favorites as a, I'm moving toward the introduction. You're moving on up on my list of being one of my favorite congregations. And I've only been here for less than 24 hours. I'm really glad. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I hope to continue our good relationship far into the future. I think you're one of my favorites. Number two favorite is this. How could I have asked you for a better favorite to read responsibly than from chapter 16 of the Westminster Confession of Faith? Frankly, we could just reread paragraph number three and go home. Because it's one of my it is my favorite chapter in the Westminster Confession because of what it is teaching us about loving and serving Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wow. I think it's great. Along with that is number three, and this is just for benefit of those to whom it would apply. A favorite in our family is a little favorite tradition. Now, all the young people are not going to be really pleased with what I say. Hmm. And so they're going to be listening better with what I'm about to say. In our family, we had a rule. Here's one of our rules for our family. It's one of my favorite rules that we had as a family. Our children, three of, of which, if you're a parent, you understand what I'm saying. I'm wondering, uh, how are we going to get these children to recite the Shorter Catechism? We had a rule. You can recite the Shorter Catechism when you've accomplished all the other responsibilities of getting a driver's license and get it upon so reciting or turn 35. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> the confession and the catechisms are wonderful teaching tools. As our pastor Ligon Duncan at the time said from the pulpit, quoting someone else, you can always tell a catechism man because the catechisms are so helpful in teaching the truths of God's Word. That's a favorite little family practice that we have and a, a, a favorite uh, acknowledging the standards from the 1640s. We are confession people. Well, the passage for this morning is also my favorite passage in all of the Bible. What's your favorite? You would say, Bebo, I don't get it. How could a person like you have a favorite like this? But it is my favorite. At other times in the past, my favorite has been, of course, uh, oops, has been, I don't need my sunglasses. I need, need my other ones. <laughs> I acknowledged to the session last night that I often mess up. <laughs> and so you just have to bear with it. Perhaps I can see a little bit better now. This is my favorite passage in all of the Bible. At days gone by, my favorite passage, of course, was Romans 8, 28. And then it became Genesis 1, 1. 
And I'm prone to think and prone to say that the first, the, excuse me, the, the five most important words in the English language are, in the beginning God created. And everything else spills out of those five words. We're Bible people. The B-I-B-L-E. Five most important words. But these words right before us today are my favorite because they deal with the struggle that goes on, in my opinion, in every believer's life and in my life. These words are very helpful to me. Expressing some of the truths that we get in chapter 16, my favorite, and especially in paragraph number 3, expressing those thoughts that arise out of the teaching of the Bible. So here we go. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Let us ask God's blessing as I read for us this little passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken. Lord Jesus, you have accomplished. Spirit of God, you apply. We're very grateful people. We wish that we could say with more sincerity and with more desire to be obedient unto your word. But would you please, sir, apply these words to us. For your honor, for our sanctification, for the good of the church, and for the use beyond. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Paul wrote in the second chapter of letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure." Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and do of His good pleasure. Whew. Again, having read it, we might say, that's enough. If we could plumb the depths of those to any extent, wow, what a Lord's day it would be. What was it like when you're growing up? Some of these people haven't grown up yet. I'm looking at them. They're still growing. These boys, those boys are going to be big. If, I can tell just by looking at them. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be <laughs> big. Well, what was it like when you were growing up? I think I was uh, born in church. Do you feel like you were? I think I never got enough stars on the poster board for having said the catechism and youth fellowship, but I was there. I think... Uh, I learned a lot of things in a church, I think, as a young kid. But let me tell you what it seemed to do to me. I seemed to have become a good old Southern Presbyterian legalist because of my young, early experiences. Or to put it in a sing-song way to do it, if I could sing, I would. You better watch out. You better not shout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. God's going to get you. I was a person concerned about obedience to God's revealed will because I had a certain kind of fear of disobedience. Did you? 
It was a legalistic old Southern Presbyterian outlook on life. And then at a certain point in my experience, there was a new understanding that seemed to, to move through. And it was the understanding that I'm a believer, so almost anything goes because Jesus is my Savior and I'm forgiven. Licentiousness and legalism. Neither is the proper Bible understanding of Christian living. Neither points us to Jesus. Neither points us to the work of the Spirit in our lives as we've just read about it in the explanation from the confession uh, chapter and paragraph. paragraph. Well, we come to this passage, and it really helps me. It helps me try to understand the place of being a believer facing God's revealed will, relying upon the Spirit of God in my desire to be obedient. I'm going to give you three words. Three words that start with S. I'm a simplistic kind of person. I believe in little catch things that help us. Word number one, as this passage says, work out your salvation. The first word is salvation. The second word is sanctification. And the third word is synergy. Be patient. We'll get to number three, and I'll try to say what I think this passage is teaching us about synergy in just a moment. But the word salvation, we are evangelical believers, aren't we? Believe, we believe in being saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Salvation is very important to us. Well, Bebo, as I read that passage, it almost sounds like I'm simply to try harder, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because if I don't try harder, I might not be saved. Hmm, erring, erring, erring. Mm. Let me use an illustration. Perhaps it will work. Jesus often used illustrations. Have you ever noticed that? Here's one. You don't know me very well, do you? Well, some people in this congregation are getting to know me better. <laughs> but you don't know me. You hear this name, Bebo. What in the world can that be? <laughs> well, you know that I'm a ruling elder at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. You make certain assumptions, not all of which are right. But Bebo is a Christian. You assume that. Bebo is a husband. You assumed it, but you didn't know it because you might have noticed something on my finger. 53 years. That, world's, that girl's been pretty patient with me. Bebo is a father, three children. I'm a brother. I'm a nephew. I'm a cousin. I'm a ruling elder. I, I, I work uh, trying to help churches and uh, seminary students and pastors. I, I ride motorcycles. Are any of the boys inclined toward that? I don't mean to lead them astray, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I, you didn't know that. You don't know a lot of things about me. When you hear the word Bebo, you have not thought about all the nuances that those, those four letters might 
really mean, have you? you? It takes a while to get to know someone, doesn't it? The word salvation is a word like that. It means a lot of things. It means, among other things, in the decree of God, we were saved. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are, the catechism says, the eternal purpose of God according to the counsel of His will, whereby He has foreordained everything that comes to pass. God has decreed. He decreed my salvation from eternity past. Oh, Bebo, please explain that to us. If I could, I would. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. But I know in time, in eternity, without time, in eternity past, God decreed my salvation. So I was saved into eternity. Imagine that. What a thought. There came a time when Jesus on the cross in His active and passive obedience, Jesus was my Savior. He saved me. He dealt with my sin. It has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I was saved in a manner of speaking at the cross. And I was saved in my experience. You might wonder, Bebo, you had not made much progress in the meantime, have you? <laughs> well, maybe you feel that way too. But I think I was soundly converted, really converted at age 10. At a camp. What that means for me is that I've been a believer for 65 years. I said in Sunday school last week in Natchez, Mississippi. Has anybody in here ever heard that name of that town before? No, okay. I was preaching, doing Sunday school and preaching in Natchez, Mississippi, two hours away from our home. I said that at a certain point, I experienced the justifying work of Jesus Christ in my life. For the last 65 years, the word has been sanctification. It rests upon justification, but for 65 years, I have been dealing with sanctification. Saved, saved unto. Yes, they must work it out, one commentator said. That is, carry it to its thoroughly digested completion and apply it to day and day living, that is, salvation. They must aim at nothing less than spiritual and moral perfection. Yes, we have a goal. We're saved people. Are you a saved person? Have you come to terms with eternity future? Have you? The working out of salvation, that is, living for Christ, is continuous, it's sustained, it's strenuous, it's a contest. Paul tells us things like it's a fight, it's a race. Philippians 3.12, Romans 14.9, 1 Corinthians 9.24-27, and others. 
It will mean making full use of all of God's appointed means to be dealing with our sin. To deal with sin is a Christian privilege. To be changing is a Christian privilege. We are not people who say that that's just the way I am. No, we're working out our salvation with a kind of fear and trimming, all reverence, respect of God. It's all about Jesus. As I drive into Natchez, Mississippi, and I've been there a number of Sundays because they're without a pastor. As I drive into town, there's a church uh, that I, I drive right by it, and they have that sign out front that says, It's all about Jesus. Well, you know what? They're right. It is all about Jesus. Salvation, a hallmark of our conviction, being in Christ, being loved by God, being forgiven of sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the propitiation work of Jesus standing in our place. That's a big word. It's used twice in the Bible. Ugh, propitiation. How often in recent weeks have you thrown that word out in a conversation? Are you propitiated yet? <laughs> but what it means is that Jesus has accepted the guilt of your sin if you're in Christ. And incidentally, he has uh, brought to you the benefits of his righteousness. Jesus brings us before God the Father as forgiven. That's about the best news anybody could hear. Number one in my little outline is salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. Number two in my outline is sanctification. Well, Bebo, you've already mentioned it. Well, certainly I did because the passage is dealing with it too, isn't it? The catechism asks, what is sanctification? The catechism rightly says, because it has pulled together the comprehensive teaching of God's Word, about sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Bebo, you grew up a legalist. Would you pay attention to this little, little half a sentence already? Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live under righteousness. Grace enabling us toward obedience. That's, that's pretty powerful. Second Thessalonians 2.13 God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Sanctification. It's God at work with His grace. That's really super. Do you understand the freedom I finally experienced and the time when I said, Have you ever said, about God's Spirit being at work in you? Is sanctification obvious in you? One commentator said, Observe, it concerns us above all things to secure the welfare of our souls. Whatever becomes of other things, let us take care of our best interests. Taking care of your soul. Taking care of your soul. Observe, he said, we must be diligent in the use of all the means which conduce to our salvation, working it out. We are people in whose lives God is at work as much now as the day when he changed you. God's fingerprints. I love to talk about God's fingerprints. I say it often. I say it to myself. God's fingerprints are all over Bebo. And you know what? God's providence is a straight line. My favorite catechism number 11. God's providence. Holy, wise, and powerful, preserving all of His creatures and all their actions. God is moving me on a straight line to heaven. And he is making me more and more meet to be there, more appropriate to be there every day as he deals with me. Do you see sanctification in your life? Well, don't talk to my wife, okay? I didn't bring her with me. <laughs> I left her at home because I think she might say some things. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I never tease and I never exaggerate. Is anybody paying attention? <laughs> uh, my wife, though, would say that perhaps in later years, Bebo is becoming a bit more patient. She might say that Bebo is becoming a bit more in love with Jesus. One of the things that I pray every day is that God would give me stronger faith trust and love for him is God a changing me he is a changing me it is a personal tease but I don't mind saying it I, I, I say things that are important to me from the pulpit I'm sorry but uh, and some of the things you may say well I don't know why you went there I, I, th I think I'm going to live to be about 123 years old have you ever thought that? Because I think God has work that he is a doing in my life. And I think at about 123 or so, it may be time for me to face him in heaven because of the work that he's done in my life. Work out your salvation to prove your justification with fear and trembling. One man said with fear and trembling, that is, with great care and circumspection. 
Again, it's another, another one of those words. How often have you used the word circumspection? It's in the vocabulary, and we, we understand it in our mind, circumspection. Looking while we're looking around, while we're walking around. Looking at things while we're walking around. Are you circumspect? Are you paying attention to how you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you aware of what God's revealed will is for you? And are you struggling with obedience toward His revealed will because you're growing in faith and trust and love for Jesus? Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? The moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. God's standard for us is revealed in His commandments for us. Assurance of salvation rests on sanctification, not on easy believism. Not on easy believism. We're not laboring under duress to be obedient as such. The Spirit of God is at work in us because it's by grace that God is enabling us to be obedient to His revealed will. So, as Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is, it God, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and do of His good pleasure. Number three, salvation, sanctification, and synergy. I looked it up. <laughs> I wanted to be precise in my use of the word. Synergy. Interaction of two or more things producing a combined greater effect. Well, I don't know if that's exactly right, but think with me like this. Synergy. God at work in me for me to be willing to do His revealed will. That's sort of complicated. At the turn of the 16th century, there was a controversy going on in the church. There was a segment of the church of Jesus that was uh, misunderstanding a theological truth or two. And they created certain theological tenets. There was a big church meeting, bigger than I, more important than our general assembly. <laughs> there was a big church meeting called. It was called the Synod of Dort. And at that Synod of Dort, they affirmed five things in reaction to these wrong teachings. The Synod of Dort. The five points of Calvinism arose out of that situation, that church meeting. Total depravity, unconditional election, the limited design of atonement, the irresistibility of God's grace, and the perseverance of God in behalf of His people. The Synod of Dort wrote other things too, and I want to read you a little bit of a paragraph. That's okay. You can listen to a little bit of a paragraph. It's not going to hurt us too much. It goes like this. He infuses new qualities into the will, which though heretofore dead, He quickens. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, He renders it good, obedient, and pliable, actuates and strengthens it, that like a good tree it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. Whereupon the will thus renewed 
is not only actuated and influenced by God, but by consequence of this becomes itself active. Strange way to try to explain. It's a good way. I don't get it. I don't get it. I can't comprehend very deeply in the interaction of God's Spirit giving my spirit freedom to will the will of God. I've got a very good friend. He's one of them philosophers. <laughs> he was a philosopher at the University of Liverpool, England for many years. Oh, I admire him so much. I really do. He sent me a recent book that he had completed. And the book was entitled, The Reforming of the Will. He's struggling. We're struggling. We've always struggled with this concept. How is it that God's Spirit is at work in us by grace enabling us to will the will of God? But that's exactly what happens. The willing is of God, one man said, and the ability to do is of God. But the using, the action, the life in conformity with such divinely awakened willing and divinely bestowed ability is ours, is dependent upon us, upon our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to God is a gift from Him. That just gives me such consolation. Are you tired of you? I think I'm pretty tired of me. I've lived with me for a long time. And the longer I live with me, the more I can feel tired of me. But the more I live with Jesus, the more I can be refreshed by the grace of God working in me. It was important one day 65 years ago, but it's been important every day in the meantime. Are you a believer? Is Christ in you? We're going to celebrate what He did for us. We're going to turn our attention using this, this bread and this juice to say we remember and we claim and we ask the appropriation of God's grace in our lives. Is that you? There's something lovely and benevolent about a man who performs every good deed as freely, as joyfully, as kindly, as if it had not been a duty at all. Duty? No. Let, let me serve Jesus. Would you give me the privilege to serve you more, Lord? Would you use me? Would you untether me for the sake of serving you? As if no law had been had enjoined it, no fear compelled it, as if instead of proving difficult, it had caused no self-denial and no effort, as if it had sprung forth with delight and joy from his very nature, from the rich treasure of his goodness and his love. I don't know about you, but I needed some relief at a certain point in the past, and I claim relief this little passage just gives me relief daily. 
because it points me to Jesus. And it points me to the enabling grace of God as I continue to desire to serve Him. It's my favorite. I'll leave you with it. Maybe it'll become your favorite too. Salvation. Sanctification. And synergy. God loving me so much that he continues to be at work in my heart. Ooh. I like it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the Son, God Himself too, in the Spirit of God, same in substance, equal in power and glory. What a marvelous thing your salvation is for us. And how marvelously you continue to be at work in us, empowering us to be living out that salvation unto obedience. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Very much. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.